0: Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the One Foot Down Podcast. Jude Seymour, writer and editor. Uh, Josh and Brad are uh, engaged tonight. So I have Brendan McAllenden. Did I say that right, Brendan? No, you, you had it. Mac McAllenden. Teas. Jeez. I'm really, I'm really sorry. We're going to get this right. Hey, this very, I, I very, uh, you may know him on Twitter as very piety, which I assume is just because you grew up a huge Seton Hall basketball fan. I, that's what I'm just guessing. What's, what's very, oh, no, no. Like no yeah.
1: I, uh, I love some, uh, some, uh, old biggies basketball. No, um, it's a, an old, uh, my old counterstrike handle from, uh, the early two thousands. And it is stuck, uh,
0: through the entirety of it. You are the image God. You are um, coming up with some uh, beautiful things. I, to be honest with you, my favorite one i have loved them all, but my favorite one was uh, the baby Kyle Hamilton. Uh, I think it was like like a Ghostbusters Two reference. was that was that right?
1: Yeah, it's, it, it was um I was driving into work that uh, that morning, and uh, it just sort of came to me uh, um, that uh, yeah, it's from it's from the hit movie uh, Ghostbusters Two. a great uh, underappreciated. Uh, film and at the very end they have the scene where all the ghostbusters are in between baby oscar and uh, i just thought that that was uh that was pretty much spot on for our, our sweet baby kyle hamilton
0: <laughs> well we truly appreciate all the graphics work that you brought to our site last what is it now a couple of months since you started working for us
1: yeah it was the usc game i think was the 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 lead up to the usc game so it's uh it's been about half the season
0: yeah and, uh, what is your, what does your Twitter, bio, Twitter bio say? Apparently a writer for one foot down. What does it say? Allegedly a writer
1: for one foot down. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a little fast and loose, um, where it was just like, oh, I guess, I guess, I guess I am. Uh, i technically a staff writer for one, one foot down. Yeah, I so mean, technically. Right? Yeah. Uh,
0: Brendan holds, holds down his fort in Ann Arbor, Michigan, which makes it a little bit difficult, uh, post October 26th. I'm guessing. Is that right?
1: Uh, Uh, No, they've uh, surprisingly have been left alone for the most part, uh, mainly because they knew that the procession to uh, what happened uh, over the weekend was going to happen. Um, But I've I've been uh, basically neutered. So um, (laughs) I guess it's we've all been sort of neutered in this. So Uh, I would imagine I would have been quieter
0: at the office. huh?
1: Yeah, college football talk pretty much just died uh, almost entirely after that game because I didn't have anything to talk about, and they knew they didn't have anything to talk about.
0: So, Well, we have plenty to talk about tonight, and I want to start uh, with a quick recap of the Stanford game. Um, 45-24 was the final score, if I recall correctly. Um, you know, it was a uh, – I-, I liken it to um, – Notre Dame fans and Notre Dame uh, football are kind of in a long term relationship, but Notre Dame football has cheated on us, so we don't exactly trust it. And I think the cheating part was the the no-show game against Michigan. So when Notre Dame went down 17-7 in I think it was maybe early the second quarter um or midway through the second quarter, I felt like a lot of people brought up the old like and 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 you and you and you didn't and you didn't show up in Michigan. And, you know, and, it, and, and all of a sudden it was like all the feelings of I don't know why I still trust this person or this entity or this being sort of sort of came to the surface. And um, I think, you know, watching the game with people on Twitter, uh, there's a there's a fair amount of people that just have absolutely no chill about uh, Notre Dame's ability to come back in these games. And just like Boston College the previous week. Uh, they took care of business and it, it, it was not very close, um, by the end of the game.
1: No, I mean, there was that feeling that bohica feeling, right. Bend over here. It comes again before the <laughs> block punt. Um, um, Isaiah Foskey changed the entire tenor and scope of that game with the block punt. And even after that, when they didn't get into the end zone, um, it was what well, there was the false start and they backed him up. It was it was third and goal from like the seven after the two failed rushing attempts. Then another false start, uh, and then Ian Book. What I love to see on that that touchdown to the the fourteen spot was that little short stop flip pass where it was almost like. Um, uh, it was a little gunslingery where he just uh, almost sidearms it to Tommy Tremble in the end zone. Mm. And after that happened and Ian Book had that little swagger, I knew we were going to be all right. And then they, they, they orchestrated their second ever, uh, two, Ian Book's second ever in his entire career, two-minute offense, right? I think that's right. The first <laughs> yeah. ever was uh, Virginia Tech.
0: Virginia Tech, uh, sure
1: yeah the second ever to end the half where he had the uh he let him down the field and then the forty one yard bomb to to claypool and then the the route
0: was on, yeah, I just when when Claypool caught i think it was a pass in that in that series right before and he and he got going. I thought, well, we got this far and we ha- and they hadn't even engaged clay chase Claypool at that point, so um, he, he, caught a pass and then, and I thought, okay, if they're not going to be able to cover him, then this is going to be a long night for this, for the Cardinal defense. And, you know, they were, uh, they were a mash unit. And I think that, that led to some of the anxiety that Notre Dame fans were feeling, you know, it, it's a four and seven team with, you know, 27 players who have some sort of injuries, um, documented injuries. And for, for Notre Dame to, kind of hang around or keep it a game or keep them in the game for as long as they did. Um, I I get why people uh, get a little freaky about that. You know, the other thing that I think, I think the other thing that, that freaks me out and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that you feel the same exact way is the lack of a running game. Um, Jafar Armstrong, you know, reemerged a little bit. It was probably the best, uh, short burst showing we've seen from him since the Louisville game, which is game one. Um, but, you know, Tony Jones Jr. is trying to put himself on a milk carton. Uh, we saw a little Sibo Flemister. Um, but there really isn't a running game to speak of. There's no back that you can point to that is saying, you know, this is get- this is getting it done. And I think fingers also have to be pointed at at the offensive line. I, I realize that you're missing the entire right hand side of your line with uh, with uh, a uh with yeah with Ruland taking over for uh, Kramer and um, and Hainsy. But uh, it's just there is no push from those guys in a meaningful way or a consistent way.
1: Well, it's Slug and Ruland and. Both of them, I mean, both of them have seen, have started football games. I mean, Ruland closed out the, the season. He started a college football playoff game last year, right? Yeah. So, I mean, there's some of that. Um, I, I, it was fun to see, um, uh, if you think about the, the performance of the running game, uh, the leading rusher that wasn't named Ian Book, I think was Braden Lindsey, right? He had uh, like 48 yards. He had the the one long run that uh, almost went for a touchdown late in the game. Um, but Ian Book at this point is the the rushing attack. We've we've done all. Right. I think Notre Dame's done all right running the ball um, the, during this little November five run stretch. But it's essentially all been Ian Book.
0: Yeah, I mean we're going to get to this discussion a little bit in terms of when we talk about bowls later in this conversation. But um, I, I don't. I just don't think this would be sustainable against a team with any kind of run defense. I, I think this would be, um, you know, kind of embarrassing how much pressure they would be able to put on the passing game if they had played a defense in the last five weeks. Who could really, um, you know, take away the take away the run or take away or at least contain Ian Book and make him throw and put some pressure on him.
1: And I mean, that's sort of been um what got Notre Dame into a lot of trouble early on. They they sort of abandoned the run against Georgia. Um Southern Cal tried to take away the passing game, but that was the game Tony Jones just went nuts. And then obviously Michigan was a monsoon in the run not working there. But um one thing I don't think a lot of people have I, I don't I don't think that I've seen this anywhere really of, of note. And that's the discussion of Tony Jones Jr. Before the Michigan game, Tony Jones Jr. was averaging 6.96 yards per carry with 557 yards halfway through the season. And a lot of us thought that he had a pretty decent chance. Like, he had averaged something like 60 yards for the rest of the season in order to get to 1,000. And it was almost a foregone conclusion that, yeah, Tony Jones Jr. would to 1,000 yards. And then the Michigan game happened, and in the first half, Kirk um, Cur- Street was too busy dunking on Notre Dame the whole game, rightfully so, <laughs> <laughs> but to mention the fact that tony jones was injured and didn't come out of the tunnel in the second half and went in for x-rays and kelly in the post game said that he had cartilage damage to his ribs and it was so bad that tony jones didn't even play the vatech game and if you look at tony jones after the michigan game it's 45 carries 151 yards 3.33 yards per carry Wow. And for a power back like Jones that's relied on getting that shoulder down and you know, pushing through, having cartilage damage to your ribs, which is like a six-week, 12-week injury. I mean, that's not bruised ribs. That's cartilage damage. That's when there's sure. like tearing to the cartilage on the ribs. Um, I don't think enough has been made about the fact that Tony Jones and Jafar Armstrong basically, Jafar's been back, but – He's not the same. I mean, when you when you tear your your uh, groin muscle like that, you essentially your core. It, that's all year to come back from that.
0: Yeah, I, I, you know, Tony Jones said in 2017 that he played with some injuries that were never disclosed to the press. Um, I, I think it was an ankle back in 2017, and I thought the same thing about Chris Fink earlier this season when when there was about a four game stretch where we didn't see anything from Chris Fink, which was like we were hearing things about bumps and bruises but we weren't hearing anything substantial but it it clearly affected the way that he played and now you pointing out those those statistics me hearing them for the first time my initial thought is yeah he has he isn't fully back from this injury and um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a good thing that they don't have a conference championship to worry about because Oof. now they've got a a month to hopefully get these guys healed up. Uh, perhaps I, I that's the thing is, I don't know if a month's going to be enough.
1: I, I'm, I mean, I was, I was doing a little, um, uh, armchair, uh, doctor, doctor researching, uh, <laughs> right. Uh, through the WebMD and, um, unlike most WebMD searches, I don't think he has cancer, which is what WebMD typically <laughs> ends up diagnosing you with. But, uh, cartilage damage to ribs is like six to 12 weeks of, of rest is the only cure for it. Wow. Um, and I, I think I know his pain, uh, when, um, my wife was pregnant with my with our second child uh my daughter liked i like she liked to hold onto my hands and jump on my rib cage and i think i actually broke a rib or took cartilage damage cuz for the first like month and a half of my son's life, uh my ribs felt like they were going to explode anytime i i moved at all uh, which if he's got something like that going on i imagine they give him some sort of uh, shot before the game right um sure. to to numb it and but if you're a power back like Tony Jones, that you were dependent on lowering that shoulder. Um, yeah, it definitely speaks to, to, to his um, lack of, of effectiveness that he definitely displayed during the year. What he did in the Southern California game was um, one of the gutsier running back performances since Josh Adams. Cause Dexter Williams was boomer bus, right? but not since, Josh Adams, did we have someone who had sort of the ability to lower that shoulder that he had in that Southern Cal game, and we just haven't seen it since,
0: right? And I, 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 you know, speaking of injuries, I'm I'm very impressed because I think Chase Claypool's got a a, a sustained uh, ankle sprain that he's just been fighting through, and and I just it's it's mu- it's much like Drew uh, Drew Tranquil last year um you know breaking his hand or his wrist or whatever he did and then also having the ankle sprain. It just some of these guys their pain threshold or their you know and Trevor Rulin is in this is in the same uh, bucket here. I mean when Trevor explains um all of the injuries that he suffered all over his body and yet he's playing he's starting uh on the right hand side of the offensive line for for Notre Dame, uh it's it's uh, it it amazes me that these guys do as well as they did um T- Dante Vaughn last year uh you know got beat on a on a well perfectly placed ball by Trevor Lawrence and a hell of a catch um by the Clemson wide receiver and it turns out that he had a torn labrum uh so he couldn't even lift his, he couldn't lift his arm uh higher than his shoulder i, I just it's uh, it's amazing to me the the lengths that these guys go through to play a game uh, in which they're not compensated. I, I just I, I give them a lot of credit, and um, I think when when things like this happen, it, it does co- sort of explain the the drop off in production. and And thank God for Ian Book. Uh, I thank God that you know that uh, the the uh, you know Chip Long and the offensive staff have decided to to trust him a little bit more to to get him in situations where he can take off, and it makes sense whether it's a design run or um, he, he can, you know, follow the play to, uh, to make, to make gains of his own. But, um, I haven't always trusted his judgment, but I, I have been impressed with his ability to avoid the contact because I think that's, that's how you survive as a quarterback.
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, well, one other, uh, before I go on to book, remember Jerry Tillery played the, uh, uh, second half of last season injured as well. And he needed surgery prior to the draft.
0: Great. Point. Um, Great point.
1: So, yeah, uh, old Terry Gillery was hurt last year. And I think a lot of that has to do with the culture. Is it a Matt Bayless thing? Is it something that Brian Kelly's instilled? Um, But the culture within this program and their ability to season injuries, like to weather injuries and to play through them and the mindset and the mentality that the players have, uh, nothing's more drastic than the total collapse of 2014 where the team they couldn't sustain the injuries and they just melted down the stretch. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you compare that to what they've been able to do in 2018 and now 2019 uh, with mounting injuries and their record in November, these last two years has been nine and O and they have mounted just as many injuries. Uh, they've had more depth certainly. Um, but the injuries that they've racked up, um, these last two years hasn't really been outside the norm. Um, they've just there's just an attitude and perhaps uh, a, a will to to play through it. And I don't I think Drew Tranquil might have set the trend. And all it takes is one guy to really sort of lead the way. And when you see Drew Tranquil out there, it was the the Northwestern game
0: mm-hmm. where
1: he had nothing. there was no reason drew tranquil was on should have been on that field, but that kid on every single third down was just coming right back out there and he was making plays. And that's the kind of stuff that other guys on the team, they see that and they feed off of it. And it's carried through to this year with, with a guy like, uh, um, like you said, Chase Claypool, I think it's the ankle. I also think I read something about him having an injury to his hand as well. And he's still up there with the focus to make catches. And I think he's got a bum hand um, wow. where, yeah, you've seen him uh, limp off the field multiple times this year. And you say, oh, just to come back, you know, a series later.
0: Yeah. I, I want to transition some of our conversation into a more like a 30,000 foot view. Um you and I didn't have the opportunity to talk before the season started. Uh, Josh and I were on record uh, on an earlier podcast. I said nine and three. Josh said 11 and one. Obviously here at 10-2, you know, we split the baby on this. Uh, I had predicted losses to Georgia, Michigan, and uh, Stanford. And I I, I had said that, that I didn't think the Georgia game would be very close. Obviously it was. Um, I don't remember what I said for Michigan, but I, I, I think I expected a closer game, but still a loss. And then I just felt like Stanford was a house of horrors. Now I, I could not have predicted what would happen to their team and and how that has kind of sucked the soul out of their season. And we just talked about how injuries can define your season a la 2014. And I think you know Stanford's going through a lot some of that right now. Um, but I just wanted to get your thoughts about about ten what ten and two means to you. Um, where where was your head at before the season started? And now that we're at ten and two how do you how do you gauge h- how this season went
1: I, I i was sort of on the same wavelength as as josh i was 11 and 1 um i didn't think michigan was very good i still don't think michigan was very good and this is i mean it's one of those ones where they they had blowout losses to wisconsin and then ohio state for the most part penn state i i don't i don't want to get too far into the weeds with michigan it was a game um, much like I don't think Miami in 2017 was very good, and it played out that Miami 2017 was not very good. Um, yeah, it's just I-, I thought that they would be 11 and one, but they went 10 and two, and they won a lot of games. And the thing that I think when I when I look back on the season, and it's going to be a lost season, sort of narratively speaking, um, outside of Notre Dame. Uh, No one will remember this season outside of outside of our our fandom, uh, at least nationally speaking as a 10, hopefully 11 win year. But the thing that I think I enjoy about this season is the progression and that the fact that the team got better, the team that that showed up against Louisville um, and then at Georgia and at Michigan and even Southern Cal I think that this Notre Dame team going back on the schedule, the one where you have an Ian book who has progressed as a quarterback, who's now not afraid to take shots downfield and um, you know, where there's that, that ability, you you wouldn't have seen him earlier in the year, throw that, that toss to tremble in the end zone because it was a risky throw Mm -hmm. and he perhaps would have tried to have run it in or run out of bounds or throw it away. Um, You wouldn't have seen him take that shot to Claypool to end the half um, earlier in the season, likely what would have been the score going into the half would have been uh, 17 to 10 Stanford earlier mm-hmm. in the year. instead it's 21 to 17. Um, the defense has been pretty standard uh, solid throughout the entire year, and kudos to Clark Lee for the development. Um, but my excitement level for 2020. Because of the way that they've played in November, with the emergence of Brayden Lindsey as this absolutely dynamic weapon,
0: <laughs> um, I, I, I agree with you. I think it's going to be real fun to watch him uh, next year because that you can already tell they're they're looking for ways to not only incorporate him more into the offense, but also use him as an effective decoy, which I, I'm yeah. in love with. Uh, a lot of the plays and start with him in motion, uh, running at full speed. And, you know, the defenses are saying, do I have to account for this guy that if he beats me to the edge, he's gone unless the, the turf monster at Stanford gets him. Uh, it's not, you know, it's uh, not field turf, but uh, whatever that cow pasture is that they, that no they, they that play in. Is, yeah. um, you know, it, that's that's very, uh, that'll eat you alive. But, uh, yeah, Lindsey is, is a lot of fun. Um, you're looking at maybe returning the entire offensive line. Uh, you know, Ian Book is a question mark. I think most people are saying that he returns. Um, so you've got I some...
1: I am excited for Ian Book to return. I think that he has shown progression throughout this season and the confidence that he has post-Vatak, that that two-minute drive against Vatak, the, the, the confidence that he has displayed. Um, we'll have Cole Komet, who's the base, as well as Tommy Tremble um, at tight end in... I mean, Tommy Tremble's caught 15 balls this year, four of which have been touchdowns, which he is an absolute weapon and that I can't wait to see them utilize. And this is his full se- first season of action. So having two, it's going to be like TJ Hawkinson and Noah Fant mm-hmm. as far as you know, the two Iowa kids. Um, and the difference is going to be the speed of Lindsey and incoming Chris Tyree. Um, I'm excited to see... Uh, sort of the, the mythical uh, unicorn uh, that is um, Kevin Austin?
0: I've heard a lot of good things about him. I think Chase Claypool was talking him up. Uh, you know, if you, um, can, you know, it's it, it, it bums me out because, uh, you know, not only is Kevin ta- Austin being talked up, but um, I think it's Pete Sampson that has been said that he talked to a coach that said, KJ Stefferson was the second best player he'd ever coached behind Quentin Nelson, which is just a, a enormous praise and also a terribly upsetting That's
1: because,
0: um, it, it, it was, it was a thrill to watch him in the open field. And I just wish that, you know, he could have kept his life together a little bit, a little bit more so that we could have seen him play a little bit more because, uh, I feel like there was a real a real missed opportunity there, and um, and so yes, I'm I'm excited about Kevin Austin, and um, I just wanted to get your thought about if if Ian Book does return and exercises that fifth year, what if anything do you think that means for Phil Dracovic?
1: Um, I mean, I saw the article uh, Josh wrote, and sure. I'm a pretty lockstep with that one. I've also I also saw the article written. Um where he should go to Oklahoma, never mind Spencer Adler, or Ian Book should go to Oklahoma, and mind Spencer Adler.
0: Um, but no, if you're Phil I mean, Djokovic, a lot of silly things get written on the internet about Notre Dame. Let's just, let's just establish that. Uh,
1: yeah. Um, but I, I think if you're Phil Jokovic, I'm not – I don't know what I ha- I still don't know what I have in Phil Jokovic. He throws sure. a pretty odd ball. Um, I like his ability as a runner. Um, but I he mean, we had that Yeah. I've, we had that with Brandon Wimbush right. and I'm not sure if that's what Chip Long wants to do. As long as Chip Long's our offensive coordinator, I'm not sure entirely. There's a reason they moved on from, you know, a Brandon Wimbush who had won 10 games. Right. Sure. Uh, I'm not sure if that's the kind of offense that they're necessarily looking to, to operate from. And I like his big arm. I like his ability to break tackles and I like his ability as a runner, but in college football, 2019, I'm looking more for, I mean, who's the best quarterback in college football right now? It's Joe Burrow. It's Joe Burrow, right?
0: I like Jalen hurts a lot, but yeah, Joe Burrow, of course. Yeah. He's completing 78% of his passes. Yeah. maze
1: which is absolutely it's absolutely bonkers and um uh that's one of those those deals where the other interesting thing about Ian book and um a friend of the pod greg was talking about it um what what is Ian book going to look like next year with a grad schedules a grad student schedule right because sure. if you remember Uh, Last year, Drew Tranquil with the the grad student was able to focus almost entirely on football. And Joe Burrow this year has been – Jerry Tiller was able to focus on it. And they put in two of their best – not – they put in their best two seasons. And Joe Burrow this season as a grad transfer, you very rarely see top-end quarterback talent come back for a fifth year. Right. the examples that I can think of that have are Joe Burrow, who's putting up 78% completion percentage, thrown 44 touchdowns, over 4,000 yards, and he's still got three games left, honestly. Um, but And then Russ, Russ Wilson, right, mm-hmm. when he went to Wisconsin, and basically I don't think he set foot in a classroom in Madison. So I'm interested to see what Ian Book does – next season as a grad student fully focused and locked in to playing quarterback for Notre Dame with some speed options uh a line that should be pretty dynamic and hopefully some confidence
0: yeah and 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 a and a real uh you know I, I didn't think that we would get a fifth year quarterback ever again um I thought that you know, they tend to fall in, t- in two different realms, which is that they're either good enough to go to the NFL or um, they're good enough to go play somewhere else and, and showcase themselves, but not good enough to, you know, Notre Dame seems to kind of move on to the, to the next and, you know, have the next guy sort of coming up the ranks or whatever. So, um, you know, it's it's a real rarity uh, to have a quarterback finish exhaust his eligibility at Notre Dame. Um I can I think we can count on our one hand uh the number of guys that have done it uh probably since 2000 which is uh, uh would, oh, that would
1: ahead. be um that exhausted their eligibility would be Brady Quinn and Tommy Reese. right is that it
0: and uh <laughs> I think Evan Sharpley
1: Evan so, Sharpley yeah yep <laughs> uh uh, uh maybe maybe Arness Battle <laughs> um
0: uh, well, Carlon Holiday has moved to wide receiver. So, uh, he was a know, wide receiver. Yeah, so y- you got guys like that, right? Because um uh you know, Gary Garcia was a tight end, right? Uh, right. You, you had yeah, um uh, you know, you, you had yes, you had guys that that would um that would exhaust their eligibility, but they were um they moved to they had moved to different positions, you know so you, you sort of had that um you sort of had that more than anything you know the guy moved to, to wide receiver or something like that so Arnez battle Carlisle holiday same exact deal um so anyways it's just a rarity it's a it's a rare thing and and uh, but I, I think it's a it's a good pro- it's a very good problem to have and I think you know Ian book needs one more year to uh, showcase what he has and to make himself into a mid to late round NFL pick. I don't think he'll ever be a a first or second round guy, maybe even a third round guy, but I think that he could get a look from an NFL team and maybe, you know, maybe he doesn't have a staying power, but at the same time, like chase Daniels made an entire career out of just being a, a well-paid backup. So, you know, the, the league needs those guys too. So
1: he absolutely does. And I mean, you see them all around the league. Um, who's the, uh, Who's the kid that started for the Detroit, I mean the the hometown Detroit Lions this weekend, right? Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> I can't remember the name, but I, I know I can't she-
1: remember. I I I was busy making two turkeys. Um <laughs> you were busy celebrating your birthday, so Yeah. Um yeah, I mean the league has all kinds of need for effective high completion percentage um, quarterbacks i mean i could see Ian ian book getting into the league and holding a clipboard for you know 10 15 years maybe he gets a a shot at it um but i I just am very interested to see what ian book is able to do now that he's sort of had his you know stella founder groove moment and (laughs) going into next season having a relationship with um because if you think about sort of Ian book and going into this season, he had a, he had chase Claypool and and Chris Fink, but Chris Fink's sort of been, I'm Chris Fink was bum. Um, He was busted on the, uh, I believe it came out that he was hurt in the Stanford game. And he was essentially just back there to fair cat for his hands for punts, but he didn't do much else other than Fink and Claypool. There wasn't a ton of um, repertoire that, uh Ian Book had with his pass catchers. And going into next year, he'll have Cole Komet, he'll have Brayden Lindsay, he'll have Tommy tremble, Lawrence keys, Um depending, you know, Brock Wright's there as well, uh, who the um uh Fox announcers uh was letting us know was the second string tight end. I'm not sure if you caught that. <laughs> um maybe Javon McKinley comes back. I don't know if if he's gonna option his fifth year to, to come back to Notre Dame if the staff wants him back or if he wants to come back. Um, But he'll have a greater uh, repertoire with his, his receivers than he did this year when it was essentially just Claypool and Fink.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I think you're, you're, you're right. Building that rapport is, is going to be, is going to be huge um, and and will serve him quite well, um, you know, heading into next season. I, you know, you had said something to me in a chat that I don't think that ever got made public, and I want I, I want to ask you about it. This season reminded you of a season and the Holtz era, and I, I was wondering if you could kind of expand on that thought. What year was it, and and why did it remind you so strongly of that?
1: Yeah, and it was kind. Of, it it kind of touches um, back to when I said that this is more or less going to be a. Uh, forgotten season as far as everybody outside of Notre Dame nation there's not a ton of people who are going to remember the 2019 um Notre Dame season but the a lot of people made a point of I believe Josh said it was like 2006 but I don't I don't I don't necessarily think that it's it's like that one as much as it is um the 2000 or the 1992 Notre Dame football team, uh, which is also a season. It was the season before 93. It was, uh, the last hurrah of Rick Meyer, and a lot of those guys.
0: Um, sorry. I was laughing at you saying the 92 season was the season before the 93 season. So
1: yeah, we well just, the, the, there's the ni- there's the 88, right? And I get it. The no, I totally get it. I totally get uh, it.
0: So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, the, 92 season. what happened in that season for people who don't know what, what just give us the the surface level overview. What are the similarities between 92 and, and 2019?
1: So that season Notre Dame only had one loss. Uh, they went 10, one and one that year and actually finished the season ranked number four because um, they, they did end up beating a pretty good Texas A&M team in the cotton bowl. But before that uh, they got blown out, their doors blown out by Stanford uh, uh, Thirty-three to sixteen, and that's the famous sort of um, midterms game. Um, but that game before that game, uh, they they had tied Michigan. So, sort of my comparison to the season was that the Michigan get more or less uh, at home. They tied Michigan seventeen seventeen, which compared to me to the Georgia sort of seven, you know the 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 loss down in Athens. Yeah, and then later. In the season, they they climbed up the rankings, number six, and then they got blown out by Stanford, and then they sort of dropped down, and then um, were mostly a, a forgotten uh, program until finally, in their bowl game, they were able to play. And at the time, I had said it because they ended up going to play uh, Texas A and M, the Cotton Bowl, and I was uh, at the time hoping for a Cotton Bowl berth before uh, the committee forgot that that Notre Dame played. Was still playing football. I think after the Michigan game, the committee uh, sort of forgot. They're like, "Oh yeah, Notre Dame, fifteen? Uh, yeah, yeah, 50, 60 Yep. Yeah, just leave them where they're at. It's fine." <laughs> um, which is more or less what they did after the Stanford game. Uh, they dropped down to thirteen and sort of hung around at around that level for most of the year. Um, but but one of the things that, if you look at, I know Josh had, had made the, the point of reference the two thousand and six year or right? Did he say 2000? He compared to the six. Um, Quite possibly. Yeah. That, that season had two blowout losses. Uh, this, right. this one, we just had one.
0: Um, right. so they got USC at the end of the year, right?
1: Yeah. They got, uh, they got USC at the, uh, the end Michigan of the year, blew them out. And then Michigan just housed them.
0: Yeah. 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 Um, yeah.
1: but the, but that season, they beat a lot of pretty good teams. They beat a good Boston College team, fifty-four to seven. Which in that season, uh, Lou Holtz, I think, went for two in that game, up big. Which sort of, I think,
0: set up I why faked a, the, a fake to punt. If I a recall, faked a punt. That's right. He faked yeah. a punt, and they were up big, thirty-five. Um, I think at the at the time they were. Up yeah, 35.
1: it was. They were they were up. Th- yeah, it was thirty-five to seven, and they faked a punt. Um,
0: Yeah. (laughs) I mean, Uh, it's also the snowball year, right? Snowball
1: year, um, which that Penn State team wasn't particularly very good. Okay. Um, That Penn State team ended up losing like five, six games. I think that Penn State team ended up going. It was the year before they joined the Big Ten. Yeah, they were seven and five that year, Penn State was. So it wasn't a great Penn State team, which is a lot like the uh, Virginia Tech game but I think the, the Virginia tech probably better than Penn state. Notre Dame beat a lot of good teams, um, got blown out by a sort of mediocre, good team in Stanford that year. And then played a good Michigan that year, like Georgia this year, uh, pretty tight. So, but nobody remembers the 92 season. Just like, I don't think that they're going to remember the
0: 2019. Um, yeah, I, I can f- totally foresee that, you know, in five, 10 years time, when we're talking about the 2019 season, you look it up in Wikipedia or Winsipedia or wherever you look up, you know, records of teams that you've forgotten about. You you know, if they're fortunate enough to win the bowl game, then it's 11 and 2. And you say, huh, 11 and 2, huh? OK, well, I, I didn't remember that. Um, I, I think there's there's been a lot about this season that's been uh, completely forgettable. They won all the games that they were supposed to, and they lost the two games that were probably the most losable games. So, yeah. um
1: I mean, if you look at the bottom of the playoffs, Notre Dame presently at the time, or at the committee rankings, presently at the time, has three wins against the uh, college football committee's top 25. At the At the current current standing, Notre Dame has three wins. Uh, I think Virginia's probably going to drop out after losing to, St- to Clemson, right? But um, that's not a bad
0: year. No. No, I, I, anyone who says eleven and two is a bad year should stop. Should stop following Notre Dame football. I just, I just, you you have to be able to find joy in an imperfect season. Um, and if you can't, then I think that says more about you than it says about the it says about the football program. Um, I mean, did
1: Notre Dame lose their thousand yard running back from last year?
0: Uh, not that I'm aware of.
1: Well, Dexter Williams, right? They lost.
0: Oh, Williams okay
1: yep did they lose their thousand yard receiver from last year
0: uh Miles Boykin yeah sure
1: did they lose their leading their top two leading tacklers
0: I believe they did and their are their top interception guy the top uh, yeah they're
1: all American corner uh, yeah. what about their first round draft pick defensive tackle
0: uh yep he did not return he went to the, no. he went to the NFL where he plays so. yeah he
1: does he does play there yeah. um
0: you tripped me up on the Dexter one because I think he ended up at what nine ninety or nine ninety. It was
1: like it was like nine I think yeah, he, yeah. I think he was just outside of it. All he needed was like fifty yards in the game against Clemson, and he sure didn't get that.
0: Sure didn't get it. So um, um, you did you did just slip into some uh, college football playoff talk. I you know I think we I haven't been following the college football playoff committee selection show because it hasn't been relevant to my Notre Dame fandom. But you informed me that the college football committee has decided to move up Notre Dame one spot to number 15 this week. If I've, if I've regurgitated what you've said correctly.
1: Oh Uh, yeah. The illustrious honor to, uh, to be the number 15 team, uh, which is exactly where they were ranked um, uh, five weeks ago. After, after losing to Michigan, they were ranked 15th. And now after uh, five straight wins, um, you know, in, in that time they dropped a spot down to 16 because they were busy winning by 30 points. And so you yeah. move them down.
0: Um, of course.
1: Yeah, of course. That's how it typically
0: um, works. Yeah. If you're not the sec, um, yeah, the, I, I guess, you know, I've read some chatter and you and I have definitely talked in previous weeks, not recently about, boy, wouldn't it be nice if we could get a cotton bowl bid, if Oregon lost at Arizona state, Ooh, that just happened. But as it turns out, there is no cotton bowl opportunity there is no. no Orange Bowl opportunity. There is no Citrus Bowl opportunity. There is a... Can- there is a Citrus. Um,
1: okay. But it would require Wisconsin to beat Ohio State, so no, there's not really a... Okay. We don't want any part of the Citrus right now anyway, because the Citrus
0: Bowl the- is... Did I get bad information about them being... No, no, no. played in 2017 in the Citrus Bowl?
1: No, there, there's a. I was reading. Um, I believe it was uh, a Douglas Farmer of NBC. He outlined a path to the Citrus Bowl, and it involves Wisconsin beating. Oh, the first step is Wisconsin beating Ohio State, which you can just <laughs> put that right in the right in the. You can just pick that up. Um, you know, Ron Swanson computer trash can gif. Right. Uh, yeah, it's uh, that that's not happening. But that that's step one. There's so uh, too many more. Plus. Uh, I believe I've read, uh, I believe uh, Stuart Mandel, uh, who does the bowl predictions for the athletic. He was saying that um, right now the Citrus Bowl is looking like the University of Michigan Wolverines playing against the number 12 ranked Alabama Crimson Tide. More I mean, power to Michigan. I'll definitely I can't watch wait that game. See I'll, I cannot wait to see how uh, the committee manages to put a four loss Michigan team still above uh, Notre Dame with three blowout losses. Uh, that'll, that'll.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I think Josh and I talked about last, I think it was last week's podcast about the psychological need for to finish in the top 10. And obviously, um, you know, keeping the, the, whether it's the AP or, you know, whatever metric you use. Um, keeping them at 15 and 16 makes the path to 10 that much harder um, because, you know, uh, good teams lose conference championship games and they don't fall down past 15 because they're still really good teams. Um, You know, I don't know if Wisconsin managed to play Ohio State a lot closer than they did the first time. Um, I'm not sure that they, you know, the committee knocks them that hard for for a second loss to Ohio State, who is arguably the best team all season. So,
1: and here's what I would tell you for Wisconsin: um, If Wisconsin loses to Ohio State and they're ten and three, do you move Wisconsin below a Michigan team that they beat by, you know, twenty five, thirty points? Right. No, you right. don't. So no. uh, at the worst, they beat be at thirteen. Yeah. Um. So yeah, there's there's not a ton of. Uh, there's not a ton the only spot notre dame could move up to 14 uh if oregon loses i would put oregon at 10 and 3 below because oregon's at 13 you could put no oregon below notre dame at that point um but yeah the, after the bowls, perhaps notre dame could get up into the into the top 10 but um we we were discussing earlier as far as uh there's the the camping world bowl is is the likely destination, but the opponent at this point is still not entirely decided on.
0: Uh, right, there's so certainly some choices. Walk me uh, through this. Um, it sounds like the camping bowl gets their pick after the holiday and Alamo bowl gets their pick of Big Twelve teams. Is that right? Did I get that right?
1: Yeah. Um, depending on what happens with uh, Baylor and Oklahoma, um, and there, are- but I'm pretty sure. If if one of them makes the playoffs, it certainly uh, changes some things. Like if Utah were to lose to Oregon, it would certainly um, muddy the water a little bit of what's going on with the Camping Bowl. But there's there's essentially four teams that Notre Dame could potentially play. So let's, and I was let's wondering – yeah, yeah, yeah. So so I'm going to give you four teams, and I want you to tell me in order of uh, sort of power rank them what, what you would like to see Notre Dame play. Sure. So there is uh, Kansas State. Okay. Oklahoma State.
0: Okay.
1: Iowa State. Okay. And the University of Texas Longhorns. Okay. So, of those teams, uh, just sort of power ranking them, who would you like to see Notre Dame play? Who wouldn't you like to see Notre Dame play and why?
0: Right. So, I'm going to say without looking it up that I believe that Notre Dame has never played three of those teams in their entire history, have never played three of those teams. I'm certain they've never played Iowa State. I'm 99.9% certain that they've never played Oklahoma State, and I would bet good money they've never played Kansas State. So those three automatically slot in front of Texas. Now, if you're asking me what's most likely, I would say that both people understand what what makes good for good television, and Notre Dame, Texas carries a Impetus of uh, you know a little bit of class that you know that you wouldn't get out of a Notre Dame, say Iowa State. I, I get that. Um, I-, I like. I'm attracted to Oklahoma State because I think that the run up to bowl week between Mike Gundy and Brian Kelly would be oh, nothing short of hilarious. And that's why I've always wanted Notre Dame to play Washington State in any kind of bowl, wherever. Um, Michael Leach, but, yeah, yeah. yeah, Because <laughs> watching Mike Leach. Uh, and Brian Kelly interact with each other <laughs> would be uh, just nirvana. So, um, I and think this it- new
1: Brian Kelly 2.0 would fully embrace Mike Gundy's mullet, and it would be comedy gold.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm there for. It. Uh, I mean, Patrick, uh, you know, does a opposition preview with, uh, with a writer from. You know, from uh, from who, or our opponent's blog or whatever, and he always asks about a karaoke, a mythical karaoke contest between Brian Kelly and the other coach. And uh, you know, I, I just I, if if we're gonna have a karaoke contest, I think Mike Gundy gets us the closest to, to the karaoke contest besides Mike Leach. So, oh yeah, it'd, um, be, it'd be glorious. I'm I'm definitely uh, there.
1: Do you want as far as so? So you're right. None of the outside of Texas, Notre Dame has played. It hasn't played any of those three teams.
0: Right. Um, so, so here's why I like each one of these, right? So the Gundy factor, Oklahoma State. I like Chuba Hubbard. The Can- we got the Canadian connection, Chuba Hubbard and Chase Claypool. Yeah. Uh, Chuba the, the, is the leading rusher in FBS, if I, if I recall correctly. And he
1: has uh, run for 100 yards against every FBS opponent he's played this year.
0: Yeah. And so that presents the greatest challenge. And Absolutely. I think that if, um, if Notre Dame were to beat them, uh, Notre Dame were to beat Oklahoma State, it would say something
1: good. I mean, Oklahoma so. State's an 8-14. and 14. I think that yeah. they're pretty gamey. One thing I would yeah. say about Oklahoma State is that their um, starting quarterback is out. They're starting uh, Spencer Sanders. I don't know if he'd be back in time for the bowl game, but they've been starting um, sort of a forgotten uh, Drew Brown, who's the very definition of a Jag. He's a senior kid who's just been hanging around the program for a while. Um, he was the the starter last year for Hawaii, and then he uh, transferred into Oki State uh, this year, hoping to – or last year. I think he sat – he was at Oki State last year, I think, sat a year, and then this year lost out the good job, and then he's played the last two games. Not very good, yeah, uh, I think he's uh, he's scored thirty six points in his last two games as quarterback. Uh, but Chuba Hubbard, I don't the one week I I don't know if Notre Dame is terrible. I mean, they did a fantastic job against Georgia, but then I think of um, the Michigan game and uh, the fact True Wilson was able to score a touchdown against Notre Dame gives me pause with with Chuba Hubbard. He probably automatically vaults up to the best. A pure running back that Notre Dame will have played this year. I think DeAndre Swift is a fantastic talent, but I don't. I don't know if between the tackles, he's as good as Chuba Hubbard. Well, I can say yeah. with
0: impunity that he is not as good at running back as Chuba Hubbard. Um, so, I I think in my power rankings, I'm going to put Oklahoma State number one. I um, agree with that. Um, I think the only allure for Kansas State for me personally is a is a what if 2012 title Hello. game. Uh, you know, matchup. Where Colin Klein should have gotten the job done against Baylor, uh, who was dreadful that year, yeah, and yeah. instead got they got housed on the same night that Oregon, uh, Stanford the awesome. Oregon, yeah. and uh, and so we didn't get Colin Klein in Kansas State, which would I think would have been a much more favorable matchup than the Alabama death bucket. Uh, that we
1: would, Notre Dame would have won. They would have beaten Optimus Klein and won a national title in 2012. <laughs> they would have beaten Oregon that year, too. But yeah. I, I, I mean, we digress.
0: But, but uh, the you one know, thing stye- with
1: Oregon or Kansas State in that case is like, does it give you pause that Kansas State sort of plays that gross sort of make the game ugly? Um, as far as if you lose to Oregon, Kansas State, the season's a wash. If you beat Kansas State, I don't think that – I think Kansas State's probably I think Kansas State's probably better than Oklahoma State. I mean they did beat Oklahoma, right? Kansas State. Mhm. Yep. Um and I don't but I mean they have that propensity of making games and scores very ugly, keeping it in like the high 20s, 30s. And I don't know if we want a part of that. It, it would just feel like the Virginia Tech game again with Oklahoma State maybe there's that sort of shootout vibe that makes everybody feel good going into the off season. Um, I kind of know where your head's at for these last two, but yeah, uh, I, mean, I,
0: I just don't, I mean, I think Kansas state would probably be slotted third for me. So, so fourth is, is going to be Texas. I, yep. I get, I get the whole Texas thing. Trust me. I, I was down in Austin in 2016, watched a hell of a football game between apparently two very terrible teams. Um, <laughs> but it was, it was entertaining as all hell and it was hot as hell. Um, and, and, and I get the whole Tom Herman, Texas is back. Um, you know, the season has not gone the way that I think Texas Longhorn fans, uh, expect or should, should expect based on, you know, the recruiting advantages that they should have. Um, and, and, and I just, I don't, I get that beating Texas, it's beating a name team. It's a, Oh, you beat Texas, but Texas isn't Texas. Texas. This isn't Mack Brown, Vince Young, Texas. This is, this is a, this is a, uh, you know, imposter Texas.
1: What's so. your favorite Texas team that's had fewer than four losses this decade? <laughs> Do you have a favorite one?
0: Uh, I don't think there is one, right?
1: <laughs> no, there sure isn't. Um, hey, we- the thing we- about Texas that I, yeah, I especially don't like is, are you prepared if, if it was Texas, which I think is probably going to be it? Are you prepared for Banner Society and all of the blogs and all of the national pundits to turn this into a dunkathon on Notre Dame and Texas? Being like, hey, it's their back bowl. Uh, which, which team's back? Unfairly putting a Notre Dame team in the same group as Texas is being like, is Notre Dame back? Is Texas back? I don't know if I want to have that sort of to be lumped in with Texas for a bowl game and to have this sort of like Notre Dame is not a has been program. They have played for two national titles this decade in the playoffs and one in in the title game for another. And this has been three out of four years with 10 plus win seasons. Notre Dame is not on Texas's level, but I just fear that if it was Texas, that sort of moniker would get. Put on Notre Dame, which I don't want any part of
0: being associated. Yeah, I, I think with Texas. You, I think you're correctly identifying the Texas stink, right? It's we're going to get the Texas yeah, stink on us. That's um,
1: exactly and, right. The stink, like, yeah.
0: oh. And so they're they're number four for me. And you know, to to riff on you know the the solid verb, verbally type question you were asking, uh, number two would be Ohio. Uh, I'd be Iowa State for me. No, yes. I do not want Ohio State at all. Uh, no. Number two would be Iowa State for me, and. And I have to ask you, what's your favorite Iowa State win over a over a team with a winning record this year?
1: Um, I it's probably the same. Um, it, it's on the same level as like my favorite um, Matt Campbell season with more than eight wins. <laughs>
0: your, your your favorite Matt Campbell win over Iowa. Your favorite Matt Campbell win over an FCS team in regulation. Uh, yeah,
1: I love all of this. Uh, uh, what's your favorite Matt Campbell win in regulation against uh, Northern Iowa?
0: <laughs> so uh, uh, the only the only correct answer, because they've only beaten one team with a winning record, is they beat Texas this year. And I think what Texas Texas is, what, seven and five at this seven point.
1: seven and five. They are, um, which uh, they Sam Ellinger told uh, Texas fans they should be uh, excited about.
0: yeah yeah i mean the fcs team is has a winning record too but i don't know that you get to count that so i think northern iowa right so um yeah Yeah, i don't look i i do i i i've been very clear about this and i'm gonna say it well no i won't say it one more time i'll say it a million more times i do not understand the matt campbell hype i get that iowa state is a tough place to recruit it's a tough place to win I, I, I understand that he's brought them to eight win seasons, which is great. But his overall record at Iowa State, combined with his record, previous record at Toledo, is nothing uh, to write home about. He has not beaten Iowa. Uh, and he yes, he's, he's beaten, they've absolutely beaten some big ranked teams um, in, his ten, in his tenure there. But they've also lost to a lot of really shitty teams. Really chick mean, teams.
1: He's made his, uh, uh, right? Cocho Cinco, which I believe is the, the correct monitor. Yeah, moniker.
0: Cocho Cinco, yes. That's an Irish tightness uh, thing. So. He has
1: made his hay because of the, Essentially, he is hyped because he beat Oklahoma in
0: 2017.
1: That's it. Yeah. Um, I. <laughs> The, the thing with Matt Campbell is is you can point to the fact that he's won eight games and you can bring it up as being a laudable thing at Iowa State. But I would turn around and I would say that during the time Matt Campbell has been there, Baylor has gotten the death penalty, right? So Baylor, <laughs> until this year, has been in a dumpster fire. Texas, for this entire decade, has been lost in the desert. Texas is one of the worst Blue Blood Power Five program in college football for the 2010s. So TCU has been a has-been program basically since the first college football, since they got snubbed in the first college football, or the Ohio State one, 2014, right? The second one?
0: Yeah, yeah. No, it was the first
1: one. Yeah, 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 because Florida State won
0: 2013.
1: Yeah. Um, TCU's been a has-been program for that amount of time. Who is the second-best team outside of Oklahoma in that conference? He has won eight games in the weakest era of the Big 12 since it's expanded from the big eight.
0: I, I just, I think that people look at the fact that he's 40 years old and he had success at Toledo, which again, I don't, I don't take that away from him. No. And he, he took a three and nine Iowa state team and he took them in and he turned him into an eight, a consecutive eight and five team.
1: He had Logan um, Woodside and he had Kareem hunt. And I mean, yeah. he was able to make hay with those two fantastic players
0: of course uh Um, and and apparently this is worth locking him up through 2025 today i think was the extension that was announced for for matt campbell which means he basically leveraged the fsu job into getting himself an extension into Ames. so that means he'd rather he'd rather hang out in Ames, iowa than uh, tallahassee florida and i don't get that but um you know (laughs) florida state's not the most attractive job although you probably could recruit a lot easier there uh, than you can to Iowa.
1: I mean, I imagine he'll probably come back to the Midwest at some point, since he's a he's a guy that sets his roots sort of in the Midwest, and going to Florida isn't for
0: everybody. Sure, and so I I, I think it just annoys me that there's a certain um, segment of Notre Dame beat writers that are obs- uh, that are enamored with Matt Campbell, and I literally do not understand why. And so they're my number two spot because I would like Notre Dame to play them and pants Matt Campbell and basically take his lunch money. And then Mm -hmm. everyone can just shut the hell up because it will be insufferable if Iowa state wins that game, because then all of a sudden Matt Campbell, well, he beat Notre Dame in a bowl game. Oh my Lord.
1: I cannot wait for if it is Iowa state and Notre Dame does pants them for uh, the athletic podcast for Matt Fortuna, who is a avowed Matt Cable fan to come on to the podcast, having not watched the game <laughs> and uh, explain, um, you know, about the, the superior talent uh, that Iowa Iowa State has at, at the receiver position.
0: Yeah. What do, uh, what 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 bowl game is Minnesota going to be in that Matt Fortuna <laughs> will be watching instead of the uh, <laughs> instead, instead of the. Of the that
1: is a, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know where they're going to put. um I think a minute they're going to end up at the Buffalo Wild Wings Bowl or whatever the uh, Buffalo Wild Wings Bowl is now, where it's the the best Big Ten. That's because because they're going to be slotted behind Penn State, behind Wisconsin. Because I think Penn State will probably end up in the Rose Bowl, and Wisconsin will probably end up in. I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I wonder where Matt Fortuna will be this, uh,
0: I, uh, I, I like Tuna, but, uh, I do I not, do I do not love him and Pete Sampson, uh, slobbering over Matt Campbell. I just, I don't get it. I don't get it. I so. don't get it
1: there. It's, uh, Matt Campbell is one of the, I, I kind of bought into it, uh, two or three years ago when he beat Oklahoma in 2017 and then the diminishing returns each season and the hype just seemingly staying there when my eyes don't deceive me. I mean, I, I I think I have a pretty good judge of of coaching acumen when you when you see programs that can't put away bad teams and just aren't beating ranked you know good ranked teams rising up. I mean, what was the stat this year where where he had beaten every Big Twelve team since he came to the league four years ago? Which that sounds like Pat
0: Narduzzi. Right. Yep.
1: So uh, yeah, I, I don't understand that's a, that's how a, that's a
0: Narduzzi account the type accomplishment. Congratulations. You beat Clemson, but you can't actually put together a season.
1: Right. So. You you went seven and five, just like you went eight and eight and four, seven and five every year.
0: Or even worse five and seven, right? Or, so, Narduzzi five, yeah. so
1: Yeah. Well Nard Nardog, uh, he's got him back to five and seven and he doesn't see the the hype around um uh, the other conferences. is just fine.
0: So we're, we're about an hour on this recording and, uh, we're about to wrap things up, but we have, we have one more thing to talk about. And, um, unfortunately it's kind of of a, a serious nature. Uh, George Atkinson, the third, who was a, a running back for Notre Dame during the, the Kelly era, um, unfortunately passed away. Um, I believe yesterday. Yeah. He was uh, 27 years old. Uh, the cause of death has not been announced. Um, there is some speculation based on some of the things that George has written on online, um, where he has, uh, truthfully and bared his soul and documented his struggles with, um, um, mental health. Yeah. yeah. Mental health struggles. Yeah. that Thanks. His, um, um,
1: his brother took his life, um, last year, Josh, who
0: also Josh, played in a Yeah.
1: And, um, yeah, George had talked about how his mother, um, you know, his father his father played in the NFL, um, but his mom raised him and his brother, and she had suffered from, uh, she had mental health issues as
0: well. Um, which caused her to be uh, uh, basically admitted to a psychiatric hospital uh, yeah. and have stayed there. Um, George said that after his mother died, he also had spent some time in a psychiatric hospital because he had feelings of um, yeah. Depression.
1: His brother. And
0: yeah. yeah. And, and his brother had, had and mentioned that, um, he mentioned that his brother had taken his life and the ramifications of that was feeling guilt about his mother's death. Um, which apparently happened last October. If I, if I got my dates, right. Yes. Yeah, so his brother
1: uh, took his life just after his mom. Right. Just absolutely heartbreaking. And right. I mean, George Atkinson, I'm, I turned 35 um, yesterday. so in my lifetime, um, I was much too young to really fully appreciate experience rocket firsthand. So I, I never really had growing up sort of that speed factor in Notre Dame. It was, it was power, right? It was uh, my favorite Notre Dame player as a kid was Autry Denson. Uh, sure. Who wasn't a burner. Um, the all time rushing leading uh, you know, rushing yards leader for Notre Dame. Um, so uh, George Atkinson was really the first player that I can remember where, when the ball got in his hands, he exploded onto the scene as a freshman. Um, there was that 2011 game against Michigan state where he housed that kick. And Zibby had Zippy had a few, that he brought to the house, but it wasn't like George Atkinson when George Atkinson had that ball against Michigan state. And it was a pretty good Michigan state team, that 2011 team. Um, I think they were, they won the big 10 or at least played for the title game. Um, but yeah, when, when the ball got in George's hands, it was just, um, it was electric and it was before Will Fuller, Um, So there wasn't – it was just – it was something that I wasn't accustomed to as a Notre Dame fan, seeing somebody like George Atkinson. And when these kind of things happen, it's just – I always fall back, and I I don't know if it's an Irish thing, right, because of an Irish wake, where I like to remember the good. And I like to bring up – and and when there's these kind of absolute tragedies where – my first place that I go to is I just remember the the good things about him. And when I think about George Atkinson, I will always remember that Michigan state run. I'll remember, um, the USC the, the run USC, the game he had against, uh, uh, the 2013 Navy game where he took the, the 41 yarder to open the game, mm-hmm. um, which ended up as a hotly contested game. There was the, uh, um, the Oklahoma game. Do you remember the, the, the home game against Oklahoma in 2013? Sure. Um, he, it was 21 to seven after Reese threw the, the back to back, uh, pick Intercept. sixes.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and that, but George Atkinson brought it right back into it when he housed that whole, and that was a pretty good Oklahoma defense. That was before Stoops uh, stoops really let it get, get out of hand. But George, uh, George had like, a, I think it was like a 50 or 60 yard, um, scamper for a, for a touchdown in that game. And it's just, um, when I, when I think back on George Atkinson, I just, I just think about he, he brought a a level of speed and just fun that, that I didn't have, um, growing up as a Notre Dame fan. And I, I thank him and it was, a I was, I was just glad to have somebody like George Atkinson and, um, prayers to his family and, um, you know, friends
0: for sure. Um, and I don't know who is listening to this podcast that needs to hear this, but, um, there are resources available for people that are struggling, um, with depression or suicidal thoughts or feelings of anxiety or feeling as if the world is overwhelming them. And I'd be happy to put that, put these, you know, phone numbers in the show notes. Uh, I don't have them off the top of my head, but, um, I hope that people avail themselves to those opportunities. I know that one of the most amazing things about um, the, the Twitterati, the Notre Dame Twitterati is that a lot of people talk openly about, um, you know, seeing a psychiatrist or struggling with anxiety on a daily basis or um, having, having um, uh, struggles with, you know, constant struggles with depression. And I, you just, Please understand that you're not alone, and you know George. George had a had a tough life. He his mom uh, definitely made things harder, and you know, and obviously um, his brother. You know, being so close to his brother uh, certainly uh, hurt. And I'm hurting right now for for his two year old daughter and and whoever else he left behind because. Um, they don't get to experience George Atkinson anymore. And I think that's a, I think that's a real shame and a real loss for, um, for not only for our Notre Dame community, but you know, probably for the world. So uh, I just hope people uh, take advantage of that. And I hope people like, like you said, Brendan uh, remember the good times. Remember that he brought so much joy to us Um, during, especially during times where sometimes it was hard to, within games, it was hard to find certain joys. Um, so, uh, we're, we're forever grateful for that. So, uh, I don't think I have anything more. Is there anything more that you think that, uh, Notre Dame fans should know before we get to, uh, the official announcement of the bowl, which I'm guessing is going to happen. What? December 6th. was, is that the, is that the right date?
1: Yeah. December 6th. Um, just after, uh, all of the, uh, all of the games sort of play out over the the weekend. Or no, 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 not December. December 6th is Friday. It'll be um, uh, the 8th, right? Sunday? Eighth. Yeah. yeah. So it'll be sense. on the 8th. Um, they'll announce uh, the bowl matchups. Um, just remember, whoever Notre Dame gets matched up with and however the bowls end up shaking down and however anything else goes, um, everybody just needs to remember that we went to the playoffs last year, right? Yep. We are bringing in a phenomenal group of elite, skilled, five-star, five-star skilled talent players at both the running back and wide receiver position.
0: This is and, the good uh, place. Defensive end, right? Jordan and
1: yeah I mean there yeah there's 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 we are bringing in elite skill position players. This is the good place we just had a down <laughs> season where we went ten and two. We lost to Michigan, and it's sort of a huge bummer. I understand that more than most, but this is the best era of Notre Dame football of the last thirty years, not since eighty eight eighty nine ninety all the way to ninety three from 2015 sort of on to where we're at now. And like, if you look at it, things only look better. So next year's team will be better than this year's team, which was better. I would argue that this year's team in a lot of ways were better than the 2018 team. We just didn't have to play a Georgia and, you know, a Michigan on the road in the rain. Um, Next year's team will be fantastic. Enjoy this season and look back on it. Please look back on it finally, and then enjoy this bowl game and look forward to next year. Everything is looking up and sunny as a fan base. We need to sort of exercise the demons, the Stanford losing streak. over. over. next year, we play Clemson in November. We can hopefully exercise the top 10, you know, sort of big stage um, demons, but, but, I would just say to note to Notre Dame fans, as we go into the bowl season, things are looking very bright and very sunny and we are coming off a down season at 10 and two. And this is a very exciting and very fun time to be a Notre Dame fan.
0: Yeah. And I just, I, I would echo those same comments and just say, just remember we get one more shot and enjoying um, this team as it is. I mean, uh, Chase Claypool, uh, we may see him in a, in a Jersey and a uniform on Sundays um, but he won't be playing for maybe for our favorite team anymore. So um enjoy this and and hopefully, you know they ride us out with a with a comfortable victory over Texas or Oklahoma State or whoever ultimately they're matched up against. But um enjoy it for what it is. I, I understand that it's not a New Year, New Year six bowl, and I understand it's not a college football playoff. Um, but I, i'm 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 damn impressed with with eleven and two. so. That's all we got for tonight. Um, we can you uh, feel free to follow us, interact with us on Twitter. We're, uh, Brendan's at very Piety, piratey, and I'm at ndjrs. Um, if you're on iTunes, please rate yeah, and review it. this uh, this podcast and uh, give us your feedback. Let us know if you hate these Josh-free episodes, or you like them, or you just you just listening to listen. Or maybe you're putting it on in the background. We, any, way you, any way you consume it, we love it. Um, and that's all we got. And so until next time, go Irish.